What's the temperature like outside? Um, so it's sunny. How's that affecting your mood? I think my mood today is better than it's been. What is a better way of me managing your rage about the weather? There's nothing you can do. Just take it like a man used to mm-hmm. when men used to take things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like Gary Cooper. I would never be able to pick Gary Cooper out of a lineup. Me either, but it was uh, it was just like a little Sopranos reference for you, for you because I know you've been rewatching I it. That, but oh, because does Tony like? I think Tony. Yeah, Gary I think Cooper like films? when he's doing his therapy, he's always saying, "Yeah, why can't men just be men like t- Gary you know Cooper?" What? Is that I started rewatching? I've only really rewatched seasons five and six, uh. and I think there's a little less of that in that in that final part of the show. What I will say is that everyone right now is going, "What should I watch? What should I watch?" And I cannot recommend it highly enough. It has brought me so much joy in the last couple of months. Hello? Welcome to Beetlejuice. Hello? With Jeff Lloyd. What? Because everything's better with the Beatles. Yeah, it's just something a bit more, because it sounds a bit dead when you hear it, just as an intro. How about this, then? Ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles. This is Beetlejuice with Jeff Lloyd. Yeah, we'll have it, we'll have it. Isn't it interesting when you get something like The Sopranos that is just better than everything else? I see. The where you're one going thing with this. that's just better than everything else. Can you think of anything? So, if we're going even to though about, there are plenty of other great things. So, if it's The Sopranos mm. for hour-long TV, yes. Seinfeld for half-hour TV, yeah. I used to sometimes think specifically what you said. Well, mm. I think this is true about The Sopranos as well. Your point about Seinfeld was not just like that; it was the best because that can be you know left. It's personal taste, but that your point being that it's this, it's about the overlap of popularity and quality and the rarity of that intersection of things. And that was true about the Beatles. Yes. It's true about Seinfeld. Yes. And I think it was, I mean, I I don't know the viewing figures for The Sopranos, but it was like a lot of people were watching that show. Any week the Beatles released a single or an album, they were going to be at number one, Mm -hmm. pretty much. Any week Seinfeld was on the air, it was going to be at number one. Mm-hmm. I don't think The Sopranos would have been at number one. So oh. my point is, it's very rare oh. for the, the for the for the best thing, the best most critically thing. acclaimed and adored thing, to also, also be the most, most popular. popular thing. Wow, that's an interesting facet of all of of the Beatles that doesn't apply to very many things at all. I don't think so. Interesting. Mm. How's your mood? I'm in a good mood. Good. Can you tell that I'm in a good mood? Yeah, because your birthday is tomorrow and you know that I've got a day planned for you. So you feel like you're already feeling a little spoiled. Mm. Yeah, don't you think? I mean, I could be wrong about that. Do you not feel spoiled? I just love any occasion where I am taken by the hand and led through life yeah. and it unfold, some, somebody else is responsible for how it unfolds. I know. The I, abdication of responsibility the, feels wonderful to yes. me. So that's what's happening tomorrow. So in anticipation, today's like Christmas Eve for you. Yes. You're in a really good mood because of that yes my mood hasn't been quite as black today as usual even though the thing happened with our bins that was really annoying mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty bad but then I, I really like going to the tip as well because it you get to talk about how like down to earth you are and working class i think and- the tip is a great leveler you don't have to be working class to go to the tip do you ever think this is a little bit dark but i do think it's interesting that like your fa- probably your dad's proudest moments weren't taking his children to the skip to find toys but it, it makes you feel so good about yourself that in a way it's this way that you sort of throw your father under the bus like if Gene no, if because you took Gene to the skip to get him toys tip what did I say skip what's a skip a skip is a dumpster the tip is a dump 
Okay, well, the landfill. If you were taking Gene to a landfill to buy him toy, like if that, we weren't, we, were, we weren't to buy him to the tip to get toys. It was just a happy coincidence that when we went to the tip, we were allowed to rummage and see if we could find anything. Hmm. I'll leave it. Do I want to ask you Beatles questions? Yes, that's what we're here for, ostensibly. Ostensibly, do we know if there was one person who actually had to fire Pete Best? Yeah, it was Brian Epstein. Oi. So they basically said, go do our dirty work? Yes. And and they never spoke to him again? No. It does not reflect well on them. They were very young. They were very young. But I'm, all I'm saying is, I'm not saying that it's inexcusable or that you can't, that, that it's so horrific that someone would behave that way in, what, their early 20s, if that? John Lennon in the 70s, when he would give his very acerbic interviews said, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it was along the lines of nobody gets the top without being a bastard and the Beatles were the biggest bastards of all. Well, that's self-aware. Yeah, and I I think it's possibly too harsh a judgment when you think about how some people behave. But I think getting a manager to wield a knife, that's why people have people. To your friend. Well, this, I mean, he that's was. That's the thing. Mm. It's it's not like just it's it's someone with whom there was this real crossover of work and friendship. There was and there wasn't. So yes, he was their friend in that they hung out in that club, the Casbah, and, and became friends with him. But when they then went to Hamburg or when they then were gigging around the UK, he was always a bit removed. He didn't quite have the same sensibility. But you know what I mean when I say, that's, I know that's why you say he wasn't the man for the job. But the point is, is that it wasn't, it wasn't only a, um, a business relationship. No, but they were really tight and he wasn't tight he wasn't with them tight in the same way. I think he was slightly closer to John than the other two, at least according to Pete Best in more recent interviews. But he might have felt like they were all friends like that, but I, I don't think it was. I don't think it was the same situation. It wasn't like when Stuart Sutcliffe was in the band and he was John's, you know, actual best, best friend. friend. Um, you know, Pete was was slightly removed. They went through drummers. They couldn't find the right person. Then they had a bit of stability in him, but he just wasn't wasn't quite the right person. Whatever happened to him? Well. In some ways, he's had a nice life. He's still alive. Still alive. Still married to the person that he married 60-odd years ago. He has grandchildren. I think the 60s were tough. Sure. Brian Epstein tried to, I think as an act of kindness, give him his own band or shunt him into a, a different band, and, and that didn't happen. And he had a crack at music. That didn't go well. There's a famous clip of him on American TV in about 1965 on one of those shows where somebody comes on and you have to guess what they do for a living. Right. And Pete Best is the guy who the Beatles fired on the cusp of success. And it it got quite bleak. I think there were mental health issues. It's so terrible, Mm. I think, for anyone if you if some if a, if a badness is done or some something that you know justifiable or not like an unfairness is done to you and then the world tells you that that unfairness was right yes it's that thing yeah. isn't it it's yeah. so unpleasant so then he worked i think in the unemployment office helping people get their careers back on track he didn't really want much to do with the Beatles story at all. He tried to put it behind him, realised he couldn't, and then would start to involve himself a bit in conventions, 
played a bit of music, started a band. When the anthology rolled around, they included those tracks with Pete drumming on them. And, and he made, I think, at least a million pounds, if not what? more, in the 90s. So, he made a million pounds, if not more, in the 90s. Yeah, like 25, 30 years after he was booted out of the Beatles when the anthology came out because there were tracks with him on them and these things sold so enormously oh. around the world. All of a sudden, it's like winning the lottery for him. And he feels... I guess at that point, like he gets some amount of recognition or some amount of his due. And then since then, he's made some records. He did an advert. You know, there's a beer, Carlsberg. Yeah. And their adverts were always probably the best lager in the world. Right. They did an, he did an advert during the anthology, which was um, a close-up of uh, hands drumming on the side of a beer glass. And then it pulls out and you see it's Pete Best and it says, probably the Pete Best lager in the world. So he made a ton of money off that. Oh, my God. I interviewed him once. And? liked him we had this idea that what we would do is set up some drums and then get him to drum along with some Beatles records and show show <laughs> us how he would have done it took one look look at the drum cut and said not a chance oh my god he closed it down so quickly and so efficiently it was almost impressive it all you know it, it almost cancelled well it almost cancelled out the fact that that's why he wasn't the man for the job because right. he didn't have enough of a sense of humor to go for it Ringo definitely had the right sense and of humor Ringo to did. be in the Beatles at the time. You spoke about his mother, Mona. Yes. And the way that she figured into the Beatles story. And I was wondering if you personally have ever seen the murals in her basement. Yes. So, you know, I did that American Beatles show. Yeah. We go on location. We, we go to different Beatles sites. And we went to the Casbah, which is this club. And it's Rogue who runs it. Now, Rogue is the son that I mentioned. Who the was half, it's Pete Best, half-brother half brother by the a Neil, Neil Aspinall. Aspinall. Yes, the Beatles' closest confidant. And um, Do you want to go as Neil and Mona for Halloween? <laughs> <laughs> and we can dress Gene up as Rogue. Yes. Yeah. He's a real, Rogue is a real character. So this place, if you go to the cavern in, in Liverpool... It's great to go to, but it's not really the cavern. It's a tourist attraction built out of the bricks that was the cavern. Right. And there aren't that many places that are really authentic and you really get a sense of what it was. Some of the best ones are Lennon McCartney's Childhood Homes, which are owned by the National Trust. But the Casbah is another one because it really Does feels... Does it smell bad down there? A little bit, yeah. But it feels like a dingy cellar that teenagers yeah. would have gone and drank Coca-Cola in. And it's, it's great. Rogue is a real character. What's Rogue's last name? Rogue Best. Rogue Best. Yeah. R-O-A-G. R-O-A-G? Yes. What kind of name is that? I don't know. I think it says Vincent on his birth certificate, though, but he, he, it might also say Rogue. He's he's known as Rogue Best, and there's no one else called Rogue spelt that way. Oh, okay. Which I think maybe tells you something about Mona. I think she was a very original Well, actually, person. this brings me on to my... Oh, okay, there they are. Rogue and Pete. Pete looks like happy. He looks happy. You would be if you got all that money, wouldn't you? Mm. And there's Mona. Here's a thing we have to stop doing, I think. I do it myself. We have to stop stop referring to women as forces of nature. Oh, interesting. Do you ever refer to a man as a force of nature? Maybe you do, but I think I, I, I do, but I think people tend to. He yes. is a force of nature. You wouldn't say it. Well, I would. I've, I actually I know people who I say that about. But I, I, th I do think, think it. I, do I think mostly would say, or it comes to mind to me only with women. Feisty. Yeah, but you didn't say feisty. I would, I would never say the word feisty. No, I was but about I to say. I think, ooh, force of nature. Do you not think feisty is a more sexist word? Yes, I do. But yeah. what I'm, I'm talking about, 
I don't, you would never describe a woman as feisty. No. I would never describe a woman as feisty. I would think of a woman as being a force of nature. And I don't think I think about men that way. A pocket rocket. I think that's a vibrator. Oh. Maybe I'm wrong. The first time I ever heard anyone use that expression was you described Imelda Staunton as a pocket rocket after we went to see the musical Gypsy. I did? Yes. I have no idea what I was thinking. (laughs) What do you think are some of the most famous but worst Beatles covers? You're not going to like this. Okay. I'm not a huge fan of Joe Cocker's version of With a Little Help from My Friends. Oh, why not? It's overwrought. Oh! No. First of all, it was the opening... Um, of the Wonder Years. Yeah. not that. Well, I guess... That doesn't stop it from being overwrought, though. I don't think it is overwrought, though. I think it's perfectly wrought. <laughs> That's what he did with his voice. And mm. it was... I mean, I don't know. I'll just say that. I once did the Joe Cocker version of um, that song at karaoke. And it was so... I mean, if I may say, I was spectacular. And I've tried to recreate that a few times in my voice. I, I think something in my voice changed after I gave birth. Oh, I can't do it anymore. So you you believe what? that your body was fun? <laughs> uh, what? No, no, no. I don't want to sing it. I don't. I would not feel comfortable just singing it. Right no, now. no. Also, we we wouldn't be able to put it on. They could oh, come after right, us. That's that they thing. could come after us for the rights. But you think that childbirth altered your body in a way that includes not being able to sing Joe Cocker at karaoke the way that you could before? Possibly. I think I've heard other women say that they're like, yeah, something about their voice was affected by um, pregnancy and childbirth. I'm not saying dramatic. All I'm saying is there was this one day when I did that song and I thought, holy shit, I can nail that at karaoke. And I've tried subsequently, not many times because most karaoke lounges don't have it. Um, You referenced Paul listing his four favorite Beatles songs. Can you remind me what they were? Yes. So this was for Mojo magazine in the year 2000. They assembled. It was a very esteemed panel of songwriters. And uh, he was one of them. And the songs that he chose were Something, Help, A Day in the Life. Come on, buddy. Don't look. Get there. Just get there. And then just the one of his, Here, There and Everywhere. Yes. And did he give any more than that as to why those were the four? I don't think so. I'd have to track down a copy of the magazine from the time. <gasps> oh, my God. Why don't you, There are all these things you could be doing that would make you so happy <laughs> the next time you're depressed about not having stuff to do. I'll tell you what would make me really happy, I've decided recently. Should I try and find that for your 50th birthday? No, here's what I'd like for my 50th birthday, because this is something I have been thinking about recently. I would like a full set of Beatles Book Monthly, which is the magazine that came out throughout their career. Okay. A full set. Yeah. Full set of Beatles Book Monthly. I used to occasionally buy them at car boot sales and stuff, but as I get older, I think I'd really like all of them. It's a great... Is it something I'd be able to find? Yeah, they crop up on eBay. You can get full set for... The last time I looked, it was about £700. <sighs> All right. Well, that's it then. It's a lot of money. 50th birthday, though. 700 pounds for a 50th birthday. You would do that for me, but I wouldn't do that for you. Yeah, that's true. You're tighter than I am. Yes, but that doesn't make you a better person. I don't think it does. Um, When you were discussing who the fastest runner was among the Beatles, Mm. 
And you discussed that the two remaining Beatles, Paul and Ringo, still sort of, or not still, I guess now, do a bit of exercise in their old age. Paul does a handstand after he finishes, which I have heard, like this inversion, is that what it's called in yoga? I think it's very good for you to daily get your body upside down. Anyway, do you know what they do for their exercise? Are they swimming? Is it a walk? Is it, do they have personal trainers? Do you have any... Don't know about Ringo. I think Paul has what are those things called where your arms elliptical? are elliptical. Yeah, like a CrossFit thing. Oh, why do you think that? You've I've, seen I've, photographs in his house. Yeah, or I've heard him talk about what he does in interviews. He he started jogging for a while and then he started on a CrossFit. I think Nancy's into the gym, so she goes she, to she the gym. Looks like she'd be into. But the he gym. he has a setup in his house. Paul said in recent in a recent interview that he's been doing yoga with a bunch of people, including Alec Baldwin, over Zoom. People are so bizarre. What makes you say that? Just celebrities are strange. What they're all just friends. Well, he has that house yeah, Hampton in the Hamptons. Friends. They're Hampton and, friends. And Alec Baldwin is king of the Hamptons. He is king of the Hamptons. So I think his American social circle is is that group of people out there. Huh. You don't like it, do you? I want the famous people that I like to be able to involve themselves with non-famos. And I, I think that it's such a strange experience at a certain level that you can really only mix and mingle with other people like you. No, this is this is what you don't know about, isn't it, though? You don't know about the non-famous people they're no, mixing with. I don't know about the non Because it's not interesting to the newspapers. Mm-hmm. So why would you ever, why, or the media, why would you ever know about it? Okay. What would have to happen in your life mm. to convince you of the merits of daily exercise. So to ask that question a different way. So you, the only exercise really that I've ever known you to do is to sort of go for a walk. And you mostly don't do that consistently, but that's a thing you will do. And I, I really like walking. I'm yeah, a good you, walker. And you're a good, you can outwalk pretty much anybody that I know. Um, but if I said to you, okay, surprise, by the time you hit 53... You will be going to the gym three days a week into your 80s. What would you guess had happened to you? I'd had like a major heart episode. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Or like someone had died and it was a way of avoiding pain. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It was one of the only things that worked to distract you, to distract you. Jeff feels so. You don't like exercise, which plenty of people don't, but you claim to not have an endorphin rush. All I ever feel after exercise is more tired than I did before I exercised. So no, he does not experience an endorphin rush. And I I really would like to know how common this is. And then I'm very interested in all these people and see if I can't find a unifier between them other than the fact that they don't get an endorphin rush after exercise. I, it wouldn't surprise me if most people for whom that's true have some mild childhood trauma to do with how they were treated in gym class or how they're made to feel about their bodies as small children. I won one race. The three-legged race. I was in a three-legged race with Louise Bradley. I will concede that she was doing most of the heavy lifting, literally. But it had to be coordinated. You know, you were you were demonstrating coordination. I wonder if you were to go back in time and observe that as a fly on the wall, if I wouldn't oh, have just been dragged along sweetie. by a very strong, fast girl. But, <laughs> but my point is this, that, that I don't think 
fondly about three-legged race. I don't have any uh, great desire no, to, to, to so join a three-legged racing team as an adult. so much else going on for you at that mm. age. I don't think that works. Um, what You might have to take a moment to think about this, but take your time and edit out the pauses. What Beatles solo track would you want played at your funeral? This is because I mentioned Kurt Cobain and In My Life. Yes. Played at his funeral slash memorial, according to Dave Grohl. Oh, All Things Must Pass. It would be All Things Must Pass. That's the the solo track because that's just George Harrison. Yeah, but I think I would have that version that he recorded during the Beatles, which is just him and his electric guitar because I think it's the best version of it because you really hear the, the words. Although, is it a bit serious? I wouldn't say, what I would have said is not the word serious. Yeah. I would have said a bit on the nose. On the nose, on the nose, self-serious maybe. But but I think I think we have to let this go. I think you need to that is what came to you and I think we need to stick with that and I think it's beautiful. Um oh, so I don't maybe this feels too personal but I think it has a funny thing into it. So you, you played the I'm forgetting her name now. Anna Brun. Yes, so so that's the song that I walked down the aisle to. What's funny to me about that is that when I played it to my mother, mm. she just thought that it was terrible sounding. Did you know that? No. Did I never tell you that? No. There was It was sort of like trying to keep it secret. I mean, who gives a shit? Like, why would I keep that secret? But I think it's a great version. I think it's a great version. What, a thing my mom wouldn't do is if I said, oh, this is the song I'm going to walk down the aisle to. Let's all have a listen, which I don't, I don't think I wouldn't do that. And neither would my mother then go, oh, I hate it. Now, your grandmother would have done my that. My grandmother would have done that. Which shows a great improvement between the generations. the generations. Yes. But my mom wouldn't do something like that. But I think before I said anything, my mother just heard heard it and went, ugh, I hate this. And I went, well, great. I've decided to walk down the aisle to that. But glad you hate it. And then I think she felt bad. And she went, no, I don't know. But I'm sure I will like it. if I, you know." And then, of course, I famously, I sobbed down the aisle and not in a way that was moving to people. It was so over the top that people mostly just reference it in a funny way now. People were laughing. You know, you want to see a bride walk down the aisle and you want your eyes to become misty. People were laughing at me because I was crying so hard. I always say it was like you were being marched at gunpoint by yes, your father down the aisle to some kind of arranged marriage that you that were not a willing want. participant in. It was at first. I think people were moved by it, and but it's when it's it when you're sobbing to the point where you do that thing where you catch your breath and go <gasps> like that. I think that when when people think of a sobbing bride, they don't hear that <gasps> sound. That, that's not part of it. Always, I think over that the takes top. you out of the moment. Should that be my t- new Twitter bio? Always over the top. <laughs> Can I make another suggestion for listener participation? Yes, I think everyone who is very informed about the Beatles. There should be, you should start a contest, but you participate to see who can guess how much the collection of letters, is it only between Astrid and George? How much they're going to go for? Oh, no. And there should sorry, be sorry, some prize. Sorry, sorry. No, it's, it's not. It's, there was uh, letters between Astrid and George, and now there's uh, letters from John, George, and Paul. Okay, so all those letters are going to be up for auction soon. In May. So there was one yeah. that went, and the single letter went for £17,000. Yes. I think there needs to be some kind of prize for whoever gets the closest guess. Like a price is right. We're doing the price is right. Yes, I think if, the, if it's the price of prices right, you can't go over. Is that how you? I think it's just fun. Whoever gets closest to it. Yeah, that's a great one. Yeah. Okay. 
Are you interested in those letters? Because Astrid died. Astrid died. So I think these letters, I mean, I don't know if it would make any difference, the fact that the last one was while she was still alive, but she's a major figure in the Beatles story. Mm -hmm. This is going to go for a lot of money. Well, here's what I hope. I hope that whoever wins them, Mm -hmm. whoever whoever the human is who has that money, and, you know, I hope that they tell the world what's in them because it will mean a lot to people like you. I remember something heartbreaking happening years ago. There was um, a socialite slash actor called Davina, Davinia Taylor, who was in the teen soap opera Hollyoaks. Yes, I've heard of Hollyoaks. Her character was called Jude and her rich father bought her as a like 21st birthday present or something at auction. The original handwritten lyrics to Hey Jude. That felt very heartbreaking to me because I felt those have not gone into the right hands. Oh, that's hard. I, well, then I, I, I hope, whatever it means, I hope that they go into the right hands. So you included these two Beatles fan songs. What's the right, what's the right title? Yes, yeah, so Beatles tribute you, songs. Beatles. Yeah. Oh, yes, we do. Yeah. So my first question was about that. Mm. And the reason is that one of my favorite films as a child was Bye Bye Birdie. Conrad Birdie is the sort of fictionalized version of Elvis in that film and all of the the members of the of the Conrad Birdie fan club sing to him we love you Conrad oh yes we do and i was wondering who got what from whom oh i i don't know or but that, I th- just a song that just sounds like culture. sort of a standard thing that kids would okay. chant on a school bus or whatever yeah and then when we were talking about when you played that share track from before she was famous, talking about how she loves Ringo. Yes. Do we know whether or not a romance between the two of them ever occurred? Because it really feels like it should have done. I don't think there was ever a romance. And I really tried to find a picture. She likes a little guy, as we know from Sonny. Don't you feel like Sonny and Ringo are very similar type? Yes. I mean, think about what the schnoz would look like if Cher and Ringo had a kid. I don't mind a big schnoz. No, I'm, I was, there was no judgment implied. I, was just I actually, I take that it. back. I think Ringo as a young man was extremely attractive, but I don't think Sonny ever was. Sorry. Mm-hmm. R.I.P. You know who produced that record? No. Phil Spector. The Cher song? Yes. It doesn't sound like it. I think he even wrote it. So I think Phil Spector at that stage was maybe... There's no in... wall of sound in that. Am I wrong? Well, I can't hear a wall of sound if there is one. I there. don't hear a wall of sound in that song. I, I, t- I told you that story that somebody I know once got access to some tapes that Phil Spector had produced. It was Beatle related, actually. So they were able to see what the wall of sound was. And it's just everything turned up. Everything turned up and the reverb and echo turned up loud on everything. Whatever. He had to figure out that that sounded good and mm. he did. And who cares if he killed his wife? <laughs> how how weird, though, that Phil Spector wrote and produced a novelty record about the Beatles and then went on to produce the Beatles and various solo Beatle records. Well, yeah, that is weird. But you don't you don't... You can't picture him, Phil Spector, ever being deferential to anybody. Mm. Do you think that's a fair statement? Yeah, I think so. In other words, you you don't imagine that he got to meet the Beatles for the first time and was like, oh my God, it's the Beatles. He seems like the kind of guy who'd be like, who cares about you, Beatles? I'm Phil Spector. And I think they would have been excited to meet him just because of those records that they loved. Yep. Um. Do you feel there is any Beatles film that we could watch that we would find compelling? Either when you were in labour or when you were 
hospitalized in the late stages of pregnancy due to swine flu. I did get swine flu. We watched Help on my laptop in the hospital room. But I think you were so out of it, you've got no awareness. Why did I agree to that? Why did you suggest it? Mm. Was it like one of the only things on your computer? I think it was, and maybe, maybe you it was were... like downloaded, and then yeah, there was no Wi Fi in the hospital. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but Hard Day's Night is thought of as a genuinely good film. Mm-hmm. Still. But you don't do well with black and white British films from the 60s. Yeah, okay, yeah. I thought you were going to say you don't do well with black and white films. I thought that's not quite fair. No, that's but not then fair. You, yeah, that, that is what you did say was fair. Because one of my favorite films ever is oh. Billy Liar. I love it so much. And there was a stage early in our relationship where I wanted to share that with you. And what happened? Did I just fall asleep? I think I just fell asleep. Yeah, but then you also launched into a tirade about how you just couldn't relate to it all and how it meant but nothing you were, to you. But like, th- then you, part of what I would have been responding to would have been the pressure that you were putting on me and how, you know, I, w- I wouldn't have been able to just have an authentic response to it because I was under so much pressure from you to like it. And I would have been tired and then you would have been angry at me for being tired and then I would have felt like, fuck you for being mean to me because I'm tired. And we would have just wound up in a bad place. But I'm not ever angry at you. you no, 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 no. I'm not angry at you being for being tired. I just want honesty about here's, how tired you are. But that's not what, here's, here's how this plays out. Yeah. If we are sitting on the sofa at the end of a day and i i look over to the side and i see your eyes starting to go mm. i don't say a thing about it i watch your eyes continue to go and when i can see that you're asleep i'll press pause on this thing we were watching together and i'll change the channel and watch something on my own for whatever duration if you see my eyes start to go you go are you falling asleep then <laughs> and i think it's, there's such a cruelty to it because you know I'm falling asleep. Mitigating circumstances. I never get a second wind. You always get a second. Or you regu- I, I, I you just, regularly get a second I just, wind. I think to watch someone in that state where their eyes are sort of going is one of the less great, you know, one of the very uneven dynamics in our relationship. And so anytime now when you wake me, I'm just immediately pissed off i just want to say something yeah i have heard you say that i have been trying extremely hard to be more like you and do what you do yes but i don't get any credit for the seven out of ten times okay because you you're not aware of it because you're asleep all right i'll start paying more attention to that okay let's move on who would you most want to share a bunk bed with this is because I, I asked this of Chris, didn't I? Yes, we're into the section of the of my questions where I listen to your interview and then think what of those questions I would like to ask you. Yes. Like maybe John or Paul, because I think they both sleep in. D- John was definitely someone who slept John in. John and Paul both sleep in. This is interesting. I love knowing about people um, when they wake and when they go to bed. So if you want to do a show about or some link where you're talking about their relationships to early rise, early to bed, up late. I'd be very interested in that, which means probably other people would be as well. I just find anything to do with people's sleep routines. So interesting. Like what they eat, what they drink, where they go on a given day. Not when something exciting's happening, no, but, but how they routine. fill the time. Wonderful. And then, you know, what they're doing in the evening, where they're positioned on the sofa, whether they wear pajamas or not, whether like a bath <gasps> or a shower. any of them slept naked? I don't know. Well, I'm bringing some good questions. This, to this is good now. questions, yeah. 
Speaking of, who said I know what it's like to be dead? Well, it's John's song, She Said, She Said. And they were a party. I think they used to, with some frequency... A famous person said it on drugs, right? A famous person. So they were at a party in the Hollywood Hills, at a house they rented from Doris Day, I think. Peter Fonda was there. And he was going around, I think, on acid saying... I know what it is to be dead. And it sort of bummed nice. John Lennon out and he put it into a song. He said. Now, I, I interviewed the comedian Stuart Lee a while ago, who's a big Beatles fan, which surprises me. Why know? does that surprise you? Because there is a type of British guy, usually around Stuart's age, so people who came of age during punk, right. who are really, dis- they usually idolise Bowie and are dismissive of the Beatles. And I think in a way, it's only a good thing because that next generation needs to rip up what came before it. So I get it. But they, they tend to be, if you meet someone who's like, yeah, I don't, never thought much of the Beatles, Beatles was a boy but band. Can I say something yeah. about that? Don't you feel like, so no one has to worship them. Mm. But if there's, do you feel you could objectively say that someone thinking there's too much fuss about, or like, they're not that great. There's some lack of a considered opinion there. And that someone who's some level of an intellectual, whether they're a huge fan or not, but if they are a thoughtful person, at a bare minimum, they would go, oh, yeah, I never got into them the way that did, 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 but I understand Yes, I think think that's the. I think people who say, "Oh, they're, they're, no, they're shit. They weren't very good. It's not for me." I think they're of him as quite band. analytical yes, in a certain yes, way. So I, I think, would think an analytical brain yeah. would at least yeah. kind of like them. Yeah, and 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 actually, he does. He really got into them from watching the anthology with Kevin Eldon in the tour bus when Lee and Herring went on tour. Right. So he's 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 he liked them as a kid. Then went off them when he really got into super, you know, super cool indie right. music, John Peel music, and all that. And then latterly in the nineties, really got into them, and he knows his stuff. And he was telling me he met Peter Fonda, right? And actually, the wow. story is, uh, you know, was was a source of some pain because his memory was, oh, he met John Lennon at a party and had this great conversation with him, and then years later found out that John Lennon thought he was a dick and and you know put you this thing a into a so- like a John Lennon wrote a song about a thing you said. Yeah, I would like to be in the Hollywood Hills. You can't really walk anywhere though. You you can't r- no, but we could rent a car and we could do some beautiful driving and go to beaches and go to nice cafes and restaurants in Silver Lake and. I I do drive it. around and look at palm trees and look at like houses in Beverly Hills. I love that stuff. I wouldn't want to live there. That's all I mean. You would want to live there if we were like somehow making a lot of money. Well, if it meant that all my other anxieties, yeah, imagine about that, life and the okay, future were okay, taken not away. All of them, but yeah. let's say for let's just even say forty percent of your anxieties could be taken away. What does that forty percent encompass? Money. It'd mean we didn't It'll have to worry about money for like two money. or three years or something. Maybe not even that long. What if it meant we didn't, that, that we weren't good that year, that year we were going to be set, but we're going to go to LA as a family for four months. What a great moment to have. Are you kidding? No, because that would cause more anxiety in me about like how do, what if it went horribly wrong? What would go and horribly then, wrong? I don't know. If like the project, whatever you're talking about working on was a terrible failure and then we'd come back and we'd have to pick up the pieces and, and regain lost ground. Oh, well. It'd need to be like 
three or four years worth of security for me. Well, to... then I guess I would go by myself. And I, I don't do well in the sunshine here. either. No. I'm scared of earthquakes. A big one is coming. Really? Yep. I don't love LA or anything, but I just think everyone who hates it, it's like, calm down. Movie stars. Swimming pools. Swimming pools. <laughs> it's so fun. That's so fun. I like to be either in a city or somewhere well, I'm gonna go with or, somebody or somewhere other than you then. beautiful and remote. For me, Los Angeles doesn't do what I like a city to do. Like I like to feel it around me. I like to feel the city no, around me and all the people around me. No, it won't do that. But I can't that, but, walk around and feel life and walk past all the stuff on the streets. It's like walking around. It's either walking along like dual carriageways and motorways or being in suburbs. And yet you went there so you could see that Muppet thing. I did. I went to see the Muppets at the Hollywood Bowl. You wound up booking yourself a ticket to Los Angeles for five days, specifically so that you could go see the Muppets in concert. Because the way you justified it was, well, there's no, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and I love the Muppets. Several months later, they were performing in London. I think that's all. I think you should now segue <laughs> It was into, three days. It was more than three days. It was I'm three sure days. I know for a fact it was three days. You were gone for five days. Like, then it was like, it was three full days in LA. I think if anything, that makes it more insane. Yes, you might be right. Classic. I might be right. No, you are. No. <laughs> I am definitively correct. Okay, why don't you roll your full interview now? Okay, this is the wonderful. You liked him as well, didn't you? I've liked everyone you've had on. It's, uh, but yes, I thought he was great. Yeah. Very, very likable. Yeah, it's the uh, the wonderful Chris Shaw from I Am The Egg Pod. There's nowhere you can be that isn't where you're meant to be. So that must mean you're meant to be here. Now, listening to Beetlejuice with Jeff Lloyd. Chris, hello. Hello, Jeff. Lovely to see you. I'll come right out and say that I love the podcast. It was a joy to be on it. If people haven't heard it, what what is the idea? It's basically people coming on, talking about their favourite Beatle or solo Beatle album, track by track, and their memories and their feelings for each song and what they remember about the Beatles, how they grew up with them. And that's kind of it, I guess. How different has it ended up being to what you thought it would be when when you started doing it? (laughs) Well, it started off um, really with conversations in pubs with friends. And I knew a lot of people online as well, who liked the Beatles. So I thought well, it'd be nice to do something that we could do, that we chat around, you know, as friends together, that other people could hear as well. And it went online and that was kind of it. And I did two or three and they had a few numbers or whatever. And I thought, well, yeah, I've kind of done it now. That, that That's kind of it really. And then I kind of left it and I thought, well, I've done a few now. It, it, I've got other, you know, life is getting in the way. I haven't really got time to do it. And then people started saying, oh, when are you going to do the next one? When are you going to do the next one? So I thought, oh, right, okay, people might want to hear it. And then Samira Ahmed agreed to come on. And from and she was the like the conduit to make it really big all of a sudden. I, it, it was bizarre. And, then, and what was that? Was that people seeing that she'd been on the podcast or uh, in terms of the listeners and, and what that then did for its popularity? Or was it, it? did that give you a bump in terms of the type of guests who were then aware of it and wanted to come on and talk to you? Both, really, because she, she did an amazing job. Because the first few I'm really embarrassed of, 
I mean, the guests were awesome, but I had no idea. I'd never done podcasts. I had no idea what I was doing. I was kind of making it up as I was going along. And then suddenly Samira came on and really, she kind of created the structure where it's sort of followed on since then. And she was providing not only insight into the songs, but her feelings and what was going on in the 60s at that time. And it, it provided so much context to it. And it I was fascinated. I was just enthralled by this. And then, yeah, as you say, once she'd been on, people was like, well, Samira's been on. Yeah, I'm coming on. And it kind of grew, I hate that word, organically, but that's literally <laughs> what happened. I mean, you came on very kindly twice actually. I, I, actually yeah it was the same album wasn't it we had to do it twice. but we had to do i remember i mean what what i remember about it is you you asked me to i was following you on twitter so we had a bit of direct messaging and you know i'm, I'm sort of interviewed every now and again and i find it agonizing going on people's podcasts because I, I will then not enjoy the conversation or I think god I'm really humorless or why do I treat every interview like it's a therapy session or why do I tell anecdotes that don't go anywhere and and I can if I'm ever even even people who are brilliant podcasters I'll go on their podcast and then just feel bad about myself afterwards <laughs> and so so I thought well I can perhaps talk about the anthology, the anthology two, is is what I decided to talk about. But I was nervous, really, that I only had so much to say and that you wouldn't be able to get a full episode out of it. And you ended up coming over, and we talked for <laughs> hours, and we only got halfway through. So then you had to come back a few weeks later, and it it was and remains by far the most enjoyable interview I've ever done. And what I realised mm. is. I don't like talking about myself, but I really love talking about the Beatles. Yeah, it's the same here. I have to say, um, my one great pleasure of doing your one was doing these. I mean, it's about 60-odd, I think it's it's up to now. It's bizarre. But every now and again, I'll get a guest who'll give me a little present. Really unexpected. This isn't, you know, an, an advert for anybody coming on in the future, but, you know, if you, if you want to. But I think um, David Hepworth gave me one of his books. David Quantic gave me a signed book. I got Neil Innes to sign an album. And Ian Lee gave me like a whole pile of monkeys albums or whatever it was. But I remember that it was the first one that we did with you. You gave me um, some carrot cake in a Tupperware box. Which was <laughs> <laughs> and I refused the Tupperware box just in case we didn't get a chance to do record part two. But it was really lovely. Thank you. Yeah, I was I was trying to give you the Tupperware box to to, to force you to strong arm you into coming back again. <laughs> it was lovely. It was delicious, by the way. And what is your story with them? Oh, like, how did it start? Well, I've got. A, hopefully, she's listening, so I'll say it. A much much older sister, really old, and um, she was <laughs> kind of a child of the sixties, and uh, being so old as she is. I well, I didn't inherit. I used to go through her albums, and it's interesting actually because um, she had, gosh, what was it? It was uh, Beatles for Sale, Help, and Rubber Soul, and then it stops, and then it goes to Monkeys, more of the Monkeys and the Pisces album. So she was 
really in that era, she stopped at that particular point and then moved on to the monkeys because she was like a kid at the time. And um, yeah, and I just, yeah, I think they were always on the radio. You know, I'm, well, gosh, I'm really old. But, you know, I remember the early 70s and they were always on the radio. I think that would have been around 76. uh, They re-released all the singles, didn't they? So it was just constantly on the radio. And then they showed the films. They were just, they just, the music just blew my head off as a child. I think I said it before. It was like the, when Dorothy lands in Oz, opens the door and everything's Technicolor. That's what it was like for me hearing the Beatles. And at what point do you go from being like, I'm guessing like a majority of people of your slash our age who think fondly of the Beatles music to being the sort of person who can pinpoint where the edit is in Strawberry Fields Forever? I think it was um, because Bushy Library was awesome. We literally had no money when I was growing up. So the only the only music and books I could get hold of were from the library. And the Hunter Davis book just made it in, suddenly become into a story, which suddenly built, built. And you think, oh, well, hang on, what's going on here? Well, they went to India? What, what's all that about? And then they, the White Album, what's that? And the, it's the whole package, I think. It's, uh, yeah, it's in, enchanting. People need to go back to that Hunter Davis book. I've been picking it up with some frequency oh. while I'm doing this show. And going back to it, it's really it's really illuminating. The stuff mm. where he gets to be around where they're writing songs, where he's just spending time with them in their houses. Some of the observations he makes about their personalities is, is some of the best writing on the Beatles. And some some of the most insightful into them as people and what their lives look like and what their creative process look like. It's I think it's really underrated. Definitely, yeah. And you get the moments where there's that photo of John and Cynthia in early 68, just before they go off to India. And Cynthia's saying, oh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to going on holiday. And John's saying, yeah, yeah, so am I. And Ringo, Paul and George will be there as well. It'd be awesome can't we just have a holiday on our own you know and it's little sentences like that that punch out after once you know you you're looking backwards to it and you, uh, yeah there's a few clues in there to what's going to happen in the future i think so d- talk talk to me about the the guests then you've had a great array of people so samira ahmed kickstarts this uh, ian lee was one of the guests you mentioned uh, great music writers david quantic david hepworth uh, a lot of radio presenters rachel burden and nikki campbell from bbc radio 5 live sean keaveney and matt everett from uh, six six music beatles biographer mark lewison sanjeev baskar are are you able to draw a line between these people at all is there something other than the love of the beatles that makes them beetle people no, no, completely the opposite. There's all age groups, um, male and female. There's a risk that it's going to predominantly be middle-aged white men. But, you know, there's been all sorts of people. Where are these people finding the Beatles? Is it always that their parents were into them? Is it that they... Because I, I, I think 
It's really interesting when you hear that Spotify, a third of the Beatles listeners on there are aged 18 to 24, which is the single, single biggest group of their fans. Now, of course, the fact that it's Spotify probably skews that a bit because of the age of people yeah. using that platform. But what, what, what are you noticing about how, what the way into the Beatles is? It does tend to be from childhood. It tends to be 13, 14 seems to be the entry point from what I've gathered. And it tends to be from... It, it's weird because it's depending who I'm speaking to. So people are sort of maturer people, shall we say. I mean, the really mature people were there at the time and they're the ones I absolutely love. Um, like Gail Reynard's. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then you get the people sort of my age and... It tends to be older siblings or groovy parents tend to be the way in. Um, and then the younger people tend to be the anthologies, um, which I always, it always fascinates me because that's such a bizarre way. In. It's really through the back door, hearing completely stuff that was never meant to be heard. So I'm wondering, you know, they're hearing that and then they're, then they're hearing the original albums. You know, you hear... Um, Mark 1 on uh, Anthology 2 and then you hear Tomorrow Never Knows that's a double thing you know because Mark 1 is pretty amazing and then you hear Tomorrow Never Knows it must be such an exciting way to get in and you can see why it draws people in and obviously Apple are, you know the push it generation by generation with iTunes or whatever but yeah there's a there's a lot of ways in now but I do love the stories from our generation, I guess, where it's literally going through your parents' vinyl and, oh, that's Sergeant Pepper, what's all that? Put that on. Same way I discovered Derek and Clive, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> and and with the format of allowing people to choose an album, and it's not just Beatles albums, it's solo albums too, are you in, in any sense hoist by your own petard in that the longer it goes on, the you know the the more the top drawer of stuff has already been covered. <laughs> I'm try- I really am trying to pace it out because I keep getting people saying, "Why haven't you done all things must pass yet?" I will, <laughs> but I've got Wonderwall to do yet, and there's about thirty Ringo albums. It's no, it's, <laughs> I'm, I'm really not playing. I mean, you must love it. You must have <laughs> loved it when um, Ian Lee says, "I want to do give my regards to Broad Street." You think, I'm ticking the box of getting somebody who has a huge following that people have heard of, and he's picking an album that nobody else would pick. Well, again, going back to the phrase stumbled upon, I had no idea what I was doing. And of course, the first few I did, everybody picked Rubber Soul, Abbey Road, you know, they'd all gone in the first few. And I had no idea what I was doing. And then I think, oh, what am I going to do now? But that's been the joy for me. The weird thing was looking at the listeners um is that the more obscure albums seem to get more listens which you know roll on all those ringo live albums (laughs) 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 might be a bit more of a challenge but i'm up for it i wanted to uh, you i wanted to ask you about the late neil innes um which must have been such a treat for you to to do as um you know beatles fan and then by dint of that being a, a Ruttles fan. Tell me about how that came about. Oh, it was bizarre. There was a guy called Tom who was studying at the Abbey Road 
Abbey Road Institute, who's who just contacted me. This happens all the time. The, I have to say, Eggpod listeners are the best. They are just supportive. None of this would happen without them. The Beatles community on Twitter and the Eggpodders, which was obviously Eggpodders, was a term Neil Innes invented. So I'm more than happy to use it. But he contacted me and said, um, I've got some studio time I need to do for my project, you know, um, and can I record a podcast? I was like, yeah, yeah, brilliant. And then Neil Innes at the time was really, really forceful on Twitter. He was just all the time on there. And I just thought, oh, I've got nothing to lose. Let's just go for it. Pray, go for it. And he said, yeah, I'd love to talk about it. I love talking about things I love. And that was it. And so we sort of kept in touch or whatever. And he agreed to do it. And he was just the most beautiful man of it. it you know, I really <laughs> moving. Actually. Sorry. I'm actually, no, I understand. I mean, the, these, these moments. He was really nice bloke. And, um, he was so generous in his time and he was sharing all these amazing anecdotes and it was just that for me took it to another level i think what's also taking all of this to another level was come 2020 it everything changed after uh, the first lockdown i started getting lots of emails coming through saying um how it's been sort of helping them through the really horrible stories really 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 sad stories that really upsetting and saying please do more and so from then on it's kind of evolved into something that's kind of personal for for me anyway it's beyond the Beatles but it it is about the Beatles but it's it's not Sorry, if that makes sense. That's so interesting that you say that because that was my idea for this radio show. It's almost like the Beatles are the Trojan horse, but really what's inside it is joy that comes from an obsession and, and the connection that comes from an obsession. We're really lucky, I think, as Beatles fans that the thing that is at the heart of it is this unparalleled body of work, this catalogue of music. Yeah, it's... It, it, the music it's the music and the story and of course as you get older it's nostalgia as well you look back and think well you know uh, an album that was released 20 years before i was born but i remember that what i was doing when i was 19 or whatever and uh yeah it's just a it will keep going which is a nice thing i've asked you to pick a song which we'll play in a minute what what have you picked and why i've picked there's a place uh which was my best friend uh who died a few years ago this was played at his funeral he chose this uh to be played at his funeral and it just reminds me of him and also i love it it's what's his name math we'll uh we'll, we'll play that for math in a minute before that i'm going to rattle through some beatles questions with you uh, first one, I'm giving you the power of time travel, but you only get to use it once for one of these things. Do you go and see Jim Mack's big band play, Paul's dad's jazz band, or do you go and see Julia Lennon, John's mum, banging out a tune on the banjo in the pub? Julia, every day. Mal Evans or Neil Aspinall? <gasps> oh, no, I can't. 
do I have to ask? I've just stum- I've accidentally stumbled across the new Lennon or McCartney question. It's impossible <laughs> to answer. Okay, well, I'll take impossible as an answer. Um, which song do you wish that they'd recorded that they, they never got down on tape? Soldier of Love. Which Beatle would you most like to share a bunk bed with? George, I think. He would be very peaceful. You'd have a peaceful night's sleep. And is, is, is he on the top bunk or are you on the top bunk? He'd be on the bottom. The only thing I knew for sure was it wouldn't be Ringo because all those tonsil problems probably yeah. mean he, he was a bad snorer. <laughs> His adenoids go hand in hand with that. How different would the reaction have been if the BBC had shown Magical Mystery Tour in colour? It'd be exactly the same. That, that colour thing is just a cop-out. <laughs> totally. What would you lose by fading out Hey Jude a minute early? You, you can't cut it. It is that long. So it's wrong. Don't do it. <laughs> what is the best post-Beatles song featuring more than one Beatle? I'm the Greatest by Ringo. If you could own one item of Beatle clothing, but you would have to wear it every day for the rest of your life, what would that be? I'm just going to go with the easy up. Beetle boots. And, uh, and finally, after the Peter Jackson film, what should Apple treat us to next? I think we need the Star Club tapes in full, pristine, spectral stereo. Please, Apple. I think there's more chance of Carnival of Light coming out than that, isn't there? (laughs) All right, I'm going to uh, play There's a Place in a second. Before I do, Chris, do you want to tell us why we're still talking about, why we're still spreading the joy of this band in the 21st century before you are drowned out by the A Day in the Life Orchestra? The Beatles are everything. They People have grown up with them generation after generation and they've moved so many people, they've touched so many hearts, they've made so many people happy and are continue, continuing to do so to this day. Just go and listen to them. Oh. Oh. 